invite you to turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm really excited this morning to get to share God's Word. We as a church are starting a, a new series, or starting a journey um, through the Sermon on the Mount, and for the next eight weeks or so, we are looking at three chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and um, just going to be an amazing time looking at, at, at a sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples that actually is probably one of the most recognized teachings of Jesus, that there's many things in this portion of Scripture that a lot of us have heard, um, not realizing it was all in, in one message or one time with his people. So I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 5 as we get ready to dive in this morning. And I believe God has something for every person here, wherever you are in your journey of faith, whether this is the first time you've ever been to church and, and heard about Jesus, man, you're in the right place, and we're so glad you're here, and God has something for every person, amen? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says this, uh, speaking of Jesus, and it says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he, Jesus, sat down, his disciples came to him. In verse 2, it says, and he opened his mouth and taught them saying. And what we're going to give ourselves to over the next eight weeks is what Jesus, where it says, and he taught them saying. The next question is, what did Jesus say? Because that's what we need to give ourselves to and look at and learn from and, and allow to shape our life. And so Jesus speaks this amazing message, and then we go to the end of chapter 7. So if you would fast forward to Matthew 7, verse 28 says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And then chapter 8, verse 1 says, and when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you this morning that your presence is here. God, I thank you that you made a way for every one of us to have relationship with you. And God, our prayer that is that today we would hear your word and that it would change our lives, God, that we would learn to follow you and to let your word shape us and form us and change us. So God, would you speak to us? Lord, would you speak through me this morning? And God, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, we pray today, God, that you would reveal yourself to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we're, we're looking at this idea of a new way to be human, a new way to be human. And so Jesus, we've got to set up the scene of what's going on. We just read a few verses, and, and we're, we're seeing this moment set up. You, uh, my, my brother, uh, Jake Schmelzer, pastor of Joy Church Eugene, he's actually in Israel right now. And my sister-in-law texted me uh, yesterday, that Pastor Jake was where they believed the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, like a few days ago, he got to be there. So we're all like, boo you, you know, like, we want to be there too. No, I'm just kidding. And, and so Pastor Jake was there, but, but, but so I come up this scene, we, we're on a mountaintop, and Jesus has just been doing some amazing things, but we're going to come into a moment where he sits and he begins to teach his people a significant uh, message. But we got to understand why is Jesus, why does it matter that we should lean in and, and, and give ourselves to this, this sermon, to Matthew 5 through 7? Why does it matter? Well, the first thing we've got to understand is actually rewinding because we've got to understand what Jesus is doing. 
And in Matthew chapter 4, we come into this moment where Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has faced, gone into the wilderness for 40 days without food and has been tempted by the, by the enemy, but he, he, he didn't sin. And now Jesus comes in Matthew 4, 17, and it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And the question is, if he's preaching, what is his message? What's he saying? He began to preach saying, repent. Repent simply means turn. The way you're going, turn a different direction. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, turn, for the kingdom is of heaven is at hand. Jesus comes in this moment and he's giving the ultimate public service announcement, the ultimate PSA. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, attention everybody. There is a king and there is a kingdom and it just showed up. Everything on planet earth is completely being turned upside down. For these Jews who were hearing this, they, they had been searching for a king. They had been, they'd been searching the scriptures and awaiting the arrival of the kingdom of God. And now Jesus shows up and he says, attention everybody, the king is here and his kingdom is here. And he makes this huge announcement and then he goes and he starts to, to call some people to him, some disciples, and then he begins to heal the sick and cast out demons and do miracles. But not only was Jesus declaring that the kingdom of heaven is here, but if this new kingdom is here and the king has come, then what is this kingdom to look like? And what are those who are part of this king's kingdom to live like? And that's what Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about. Is it's Jesus going up a mountain and he's doing the miraculous and he's moving in the crowds, but now he is calling a people, followers to follow him and he is going to give the code of ethics of this kingdom. In fact, he's going to show a new way to be human. It's very interesting in the book of Matthew as you read through this book of the Bible, there's a common theme throughout this entire Bible. It's a, it's a theme that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God was here. In fact, as you read through this 28 chapters, you will find that 40-some times Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom has come. And over, let me get my numbers correct for you, um, over 14 times it refers to the king has come. And so there's a theme running through that's saying there's a new kingdom and there's a king. And he's calling a people to himself to live differently in this kingdom. It's a new code of ethics. It's, it's a new way to follow, to, to live out, and to say our lives should look different. Something interesting to note as we get ready to dive in is that we also see Jesus as a master communicator. Because Jesus, he's doing all these amazing things, but he leads these people up the mountain. It says his disciples came with him. So different people, not just the 12, but it would have been people in the crowd who said, no, we want to follow this guy. Like, we don't just want his miracles, but we want to know who he is and what he teaches and what it means to follow him. And so these crowds came up, but we actually see a beautiful display of communication. 
Like Jesus was better than Conan O'Brien. Jesus was better than Jimmy Fallon. And I know that's hard to believe, huh? Anybody, you know, Jesus was better than the Brady Bunch. I don't know. I was trying to think of like, Nani, help me out. What was like, I'm just kidding. (laughs) My grandma's here. Right, and Jesus displays a masterful act of communication on the Sermon on the Mount. See, first it says that he sat down, and and this was something actually very impacting and something significant uh, for these people because only teachers who were well-established would teach while sitting. And so it was actually a mark that when he sits down, it says he goes up the mountain and his disciples came to him and he sat and he taught. It was literally a statement of saying, I have something to say to you and I have the authority to say it. I'm not just a new guy on the scene. I'm the king. And then it's very interesting as you read through Matthew 5 through 7, we find that Jesus spoke into the heart of the culture. He knew the people he was speaking to. And so he spoke as a prophet and he used language as a prophet. But he also spoke as a wise sage using proverbs and stories to grab the heart and attention of the people he communicated to. Isn't it amazing that even 2,000 years later, there's a crowd of people that Jesus is still speaking to through his word. And his word is relevant to our day and our time. So if this portion of scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is supposed to be the, the code of ethics, the new way of living for followers of Jesus, it's a call to the kingdom, then how should we approach it? What should we do to interact with this? The first thing I believe we as a community must do is we must approach the kingdom and receive it amazed, recognizing the power of these words. We must receive, we must approach this, these words of Jesus, not simply as mere words like anybody else, like the thousands of words we see in a week through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we're constantly being barraged with words. No, these are words with power and amazement. And the Bible says in in Matthew 7 that after Jesus gets through teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he's he's showing, he's teaching his people, we get these words that says that the crowd, after Jesus finished, if you go to Matthew 7, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And then it goes on and it says in verse 29, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Some versions of the Bible say in the crowds after he was finished teaching, they were amazed or astonished. And those words in English don't really do justice. Like, cool, that that was cool, Jesus. They actually mean astonished in the Greek One of the meanings is they were out of their mind. It blew their mind. Like Jesus gets up and he takes them on this mountain and he doesn't give them this nice, cutesy, feel-good message. They, They get done and they're like, what just happened? Like, what did, our minds are blown. Who is this? 
C.S. Lewis talks about like what Je- the, 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 the Jesus, you cannot just accept him merely as a good teacher. He's either God who we said he was, or he's a lunatic. In Matthew chapter five through seven, Jesus comes out and he begins to reveal, I am the king. He makes declarations that only God could declare. And you had, the crowd saw him and they either had to say, this guy is God and he is the king of this kingdom or he is a madman and run fast. He begins to make, you guys are like, should we run? Perhaps. He leaves no middle ground and they were out of their mind. The words he spoke were beautiful but provoking. They were life but convicting. They were the picture of Jesus, grace and truth, all wrapped up in one. And these words were bothersome. Anybody ever been bothered by the words of Jesus? Because to truly make Jesus king of our life and to say that this word is not just simply good words, but it should be the manuscript, the map, the lifeline of us, his words will bother you. They will bother us, but they're also powerful. And this crowd hears him and they are are out of their mind because Jesus is showing them a new way to be human. And we're to approach the same way. These are not merely words spoken to a crowd 2,000 years ago. They are just as real and relevant and powerful to a group of Jesus followers in Medford, Oregon at Joy Church Medford. And the second thing is that they, they said, who is he? Like he, he teaches with authority. He's not just somebody acting as though he has authority. He doesn't just speak with a boom in his he, 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 you know, like, I am Jesus, I have authority, and then does nothing. They saw him when he, before he came up the mountain, he was healing the sick and casting out demons and doing miracles. And when he came down the mountain, he was healing the sick and, and setting people free. They saw that this man doesn't just speak uh, words, but he has the power to make these words happen and come alive. Like, he has authority. When we receive God's word, it should come in our life and recognizing these are not empty, powerless words. They're the words of the king. And what the king decrees, he has the authority and power to make happen. And I believe the, 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 the second way, or so we're going to look really quick at a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer and then move on. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Humanly speaking, it is possible to understand the Sermon on the Mount in a thousand different ways. But Jesus knows only one possibility, simple surrender and obedience. Not interpreting it or applying it, but doing and obeying it. That is the only way to hear his words. He does not mean for us to discuss it as an ideal. He really means for us to get on with it. As a community, as we look through these three chapters, and I would invite you every week for the next eight weeks to read through chapters five, six, and seven of Matthew. As we read these, may we read them not as just a, that'd be cool, 
but with a, a hunger to say, God, let this transform my life. I seek to obey it, to live it, and to let God's word live in us. You know, the danger that we all have is the danger of over-inoculation. It's that these words in, in Matthew 5 through 7, we, we, we can often become so immune to their power because we've heard them. And so it's in the Sermon on the Mount that we see Jesus. He, he, he tells us, you are the, the light of the world. You're the salt. You're to be salty. And we hear those words and, and, and we can just think, oh yeah, I'm the light of the world and I'm salt. You know? What does that mean? Well, good news, come back in two weeks. <laughs> just kidding. That's true, but... What, what, is it, what does it mean? Like, blessed are those. I want to be blessed. Like, blessed are they. We, we can read these words, and then it's Jesus. He teaches in the Sermon on the Mount on, on, on him who builds his life on the rock and the one, the foolish man that builds his life on the sand. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, I know the ending of that story. And then we hear Jesus, don't worry about this or that. And we're like, oh, yeah. And then Jesus teaching on prayer. We can become so immune to this message, and, and we can become over-inoculated that we already think we know the answer to it. We, we, think, we read it and we're like, Jesus, I already know, I already know. But I propose this morning that as a church we approach God's word and we approach this portion of scripture in a new way. I, I ask that you would take a journey and you would approach it like my son Wesley, who's six and a half months old, approaches life. With fresh awe and wonder, because everything's brand new. And my son, I'll find him sometimes, and he has his hand, and he's like. And like if I, I wish sometimes like we could have a combo, you know, like I'm just like one-sided talking, so I look like a mad woman. I'm like, <laughs> yo, Wes, you were born with a hand. Six and a half months on planet Earth, like it's been there the whole time, <laughs> and it's going to be there tomorrow. And he's like, ah. What if, you know, because each day he discovers a new thing, he's like, they bend. I have these foreign things called fingernails. I can grab things. I can yank mom's hair. Currently, it's picking up food and shoving the whole hand. This whole thing fits in my mouth. What if we grabbed God's word and we didn't say, you are the light of the world, I already got it. But we say, oh, I never saw that. I don't think I'm building my life on the rock. Because the storm is coming and I don't have truth. God, get your word in me. Whoa, my heart. You said if I have hatred in my heart, that's murder. Like, you, you're, you're showing me a really different way of being human, Jesus. What if we approached it with awe and wonder and a sense that perhaps God showed us something one time, but he wants to show us something new or he wants to remind us afresh again. We, we must approach this this portion of scripture recognizing what it is is it's a call to live counter culture it's not a call to hide from the world it's not a call to just get in our christian community and 
just cry out for God to come quickly. That's not what it is. It's a community of followers of Jesus who have encountered his love and his goodness and who he is and his truth and who say, I no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. I no longer belong to myself, but I belong to King Jesus and I'm gonna live different and our lives are gonna live different and we're gonna be salt in the world and we're gonna be light in the world and we're gonna love differently and we're gonna serve differently and we're gonna trust differently and we're gonna give differently. It's a call to live counter culture. Jesus does not have like two kingdoms. He doesn't have like the all-in kingdom and the like kingdom light. When he called his disciples up the mountain, he said, this is what it looks like. This is what my kingdom looks like. And it's a radical call and it's uncomfortable sometimes. And I'm telling you what, I read, I've been reading through Matthew 5 through 7 and I'm like, Lord, this is tough. But we approach, we have to recognize he is calling a people unto himself, and he's building a church, his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But he's calling a people who will say, I'm leaving the crowd, and I'm going on the mountain to follow Jesus, and it's going to cost me sometimes, and it's going to be uncomfortable, and it's going to face me with my utter need for Jesus every single day. But it is not just words to be looked at and put on our refrigerator It's to be words written on our heart and lived out in absolute surrender to Jesus. John Stott said this, and this Christian counterculture is the life of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, a fully human life indeed, but lived out under the divine rule. This call that Jesus gives, it's a call for Jesus' followers, not for the whole world. And I think the danger, church, that we get into sometimes is we're more concerned about the behavior of everyone who doesn't know Jesus when Jesus says, let me transform your life. You live different. But he wasn't coming. Listen, Jesus didn't give this message to the crowds. He gave this message to the disciples and to those who wanted to follow him in a discipleship context. And this call to live counterculture is not us to bash people in the world It's us to go, Jesus, we need you. And it's to be a light in the world. It's not to tell everybody else, like, you need to turn the other cheek. (laughs) Right? Read read it, it's in there. Right? Have you ever had people that, like, throw their, like, they, like, abuse you with kindness? They're like, you want, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. You're like, they're not even a Christian. Just shut up. Live the Bible. Don't throw it in their face. Right? I don't know if you guys, I've done that. Right? This is a call. Jesus was giving, he was was calling the people to himself. And he's saying, come here, here's what we're going to look like. And who we are will change the culture around us. It will bring hope. But it's, people aren't going to live this. Like, somebody's going to steal your parking spot today at Costco. And this isn't your opportunity to be like, do you know what Jesus said? This is your opportunity to put your fingers all down. Just hold the steering wheel. You guys are all like, you know, I'll put my fingers down, okay? Like, whoop. It's a call to live counter culture. Jesus was saying, my kingdom looks different. Love looks different in my kingdom. Purity looks different in my kingdom. Sacrifice looks different in my kingdom. Trust looks different in my kingdom. 
This is a call that we come up the mountain and we say, Jesus, I, I, I don't want to, to, to tell you what your kingdom needs to look like. I want your kingdom to transform me into, I'm going to conform to your image, to your ways, to your call to live all in. And here's what we have to understand. Is this, this radical call of Jesus is about heart transformation, not behavior modification. This is utterly impossible if we think I can just get my happy on enough to be nice. I can just, I can just squeeze, muster up all the strength I have to live this life out. That was never the intention or purpose of Jesus. It was always about a king coming and a king modeling to the world the kingdom he would have and the king paying the price for a people to have freedom and hope and salvation and be brought in. It's always been about heart transformation, that God's desire is to give us a new heart. If my piano player wants to come, it's always been about getting a new heart, not just slapping a Band-Aid on our problems. You know, when I was, when I was a, a junior hire, um, my family had a minivan. It wasn't like a cool, sophisticated minivan with two doors and like you press a button, it's like No, it wasn't that kind of minivan. It was a one-door minivan that you, you like muscled it, you know, like and we got in a car accident. My, my family got in a car accident. Somebody ran a red light and boom, smashed the sliding door. And so somebody had, had begged my parents, true story, um, to, do, to do the body work on it, to fix it. And so they graciously gave them the job. And uh, months later, <laughs> we got our, our minivan back. And, and it came with a blessing attached to it, this minivan, because now it had a, a pin or a thin purple stripe around the whole minivan. And we coined this purple striped minivan the Barney Mobile. And, and it was also really a cool blessing when we got this minivan back because when we, um, before the accident, the door opened and shut like normal, but, but the modifications, the 2.0 version of the Barney Mobile was that when you open the door, you got surprised periodically with the entire sliding door flying off. It was awesome. You know, you never knew. It was like Russian roulette with the minivan. The, the, the Barnumobile's coming. Let's see if the door's coming off too. And I remember, I remember like this happened and then I like got into high school and I was playing soccer and it was like a little bit more of like a ritzy school. And so like all these like soccer moms were driving up in their new Suburbans, you know. They were like coming from the suburbs, Emma Burb, you know. Like they're bringing their nice mini, their nice Suburbans and then there's the Barnumobile. And my mom graciously was actually like, Natalie, if you want, like I can drop you off at this, I can drop you off at the corner and you can just walk up like if you're embarrassed of our car. And uh, I actually let her just drop me off. I think that's a picture of a lot of what we try to do with God. Is we think, we think God just wants to take the Barney Mobile and, and put, put a purple stripe on it and pull the, 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 the bumps out of the, the door, but Sorry, God, occasionally the door is just flying off. But Jesus never came 
to slap a Band-Aid on us. He never came to, to make the, the, the van look okay, but it's still a little broken. You see, it was prophesied many, many, many years before Jesus ever came in Jeremiah chapter 31. It was prophesied of for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. You see, Jesus came, and he always intended that he would give us a new heart. Not that we would carry around tablets of stone, but that we would carry around a transformed heart, transformed by Jesus. That his laws and his ways would be upon us. And that we would be a new people, saved by grace through faith. Jesus made it very clear, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He came to interpret and, and make plain and clear what was always intended from the beginning and the need. And he was always the answer that there would come one, a king, who would go up another mountain and he would carry on himself a cross. And he would go up that mountain alone so that you and I one day could follow him up the mountain as his followers. And he would carry a cross and he would be crucified. He would be beaten and he would be he would be utterly mocked and take our place and our sin and our shame and our king would show us what his kingdom was all about and our king would pay a price so that we could be a part of his kingdom and the question for you and I today is will we be disciples who climb up the mountain and say, Jesus, I don't want to be in the crowd anymore. But I want to be one who listens and obeys and who gives you full permission in my life to be the king of me. And I want to live a life that lives, looks counterculture. I want to live a life of utter dependence upon you. Every breath. Because when we read these verses, we find very quickly that without Jesus, it is impossible. But with our King, He will give grace for us to live a different life. You know, I'm amazed by God because we see in Matthew 4, leading into 5, that Jesus was with the crowds. And he did miraculous things. He healed the sick and he cast out demons and he set people free. And then we have this moment that he goes up the mountain and, he, and, and people that wanted to follow him at a deeper level, they came up with him. But you know, we see right in, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, after all of this is over, this teaching, we see Jesus right back with the crowds again. And he's doing what he did in the beginning. He's right back there setting people free, healing the sick. And I'm amazed by Jesus because he does leave space for the crowds. And, 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 he, and he, he, he allows there to be a place where some of you even are in this place and you say, man, I'm right now, I'm here for the power. I'm here for the miracles. I'm here for like what Jesus can do for me. But I think there's another call that he gives us. And this is the invitation as a church I would invite all of us to. 
is at some point that we would say, I'm not content just being in the crowd. I don't just want your miracles, Jesus, though he will give them. But Jesus, I want to sit as a disciple and I want to go up a mountain following you as a follower. As one who will carry your kingdom into the world around me. And the prayer of church, as we get ready to, to close, why is this called B? Because the whole thing isn't just about the Beatitudes, B. But it was in the heart of Pastor Steve that we would take a season as a community and we would talk about the reality that before we can do what God has called us to do, we have to be who he's called us to be. We have to allow God to, to make us and, and form us into who he's called us to be. And I'll tell you what, lest you hear this message and think, I better run out and do all these right things. No, no, this is an invitation to allow God to make us into who he's called us to be, to recognize our utter dependence, to turn to Jesus and say, I need you. I can't live without you. Help me to follow you. We all are going to stumble. We're going to miss it. We're going we're, we're to realize how much we're not like Jesus, but it should lead us to a place to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to live out your kingdom on planet earth. And so in this season, church, may we allow God to change who we be, who we are. Let us become who he's created us to be so that we can live in a world and do what he's called us to do. Church, if you would bow your head and close your eyes up. I want to read to you one last quote as your eyes are closed. John Piper says this, that Matthew's point is that the Lord who teaches like this in the Sermon on the Mount is the same Lord who calls us to follow him through life and depend upon his power. His personal work and power are inseparable from his teaching. This is the call, church, we're taking is to follow our Savior, to just do what we see our King and our Lord doing, and to recognize that we cannot live apart from His power and His Spirit. Some of you came to this place searching for life, searching for hope. And you hear about this God who would make a way for us to have relationship that would invite us in to be part of His community, who would make a way for us to have life salvation the Bible says how do we receive this how do we access this life found only in Jesus it says simply that if we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we just speak with our mouth that we will be saved and if you came to this place and you say man I'm hopeless and I need Jesus you came to the right place if you say, man, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I need him to save me. And I want to invite you, wherever you are in this room, from the back to the front, to just lift your hand right now. Every person here that says, Jesus, I need you to save me, would you just lift your hand? Awesome. See that hand. Just lift your hand wherever you are. You say, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to give me a brand new life. 
Would you just lift your hand wherever you are from the back to the front, just so we can see with you as you're making that surrender, just saying, Jesus, would you save me? Would you rescue me? I want to invite you right now. Any last people, you say, man, I need Jesus to save me. I'm putting my faith in him. Awesome. I see that hand. Just lift your hand this morning. For the rest of us, church, can we just pray together, all of us together, as these awesome people are just saying, Jesus, I need you. We're going to all pray together and just invite the Lord to come and to save us and just stand with these awesome people committing their life to Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my trust in you alone that only you can save me. Only you can give me a brand new life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, for rising from the dead, and giving me new life. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Come on, let's give everyone a, a clap that gave their life to Jesus. For the rest of us, I just want to invite us to, to just respond for a moment and just saying, Jesus, I want to climb the mountain. If that's your prayer this, this morning, that I want to, I want to, I don't want to just be in the crowd. I don't, I want to come up the mountain and I want to approach your word and, and I want to let your kingdom transform who I am. And I want to I want to carry your kingdom wherever I go. I'm going up the mountain as a disciple. If that's you, would you just lift your hands where you're seating? And we're just going to take a moment and, and just invite the Holy Spirit to work all over this room. Just if you say, man, Jesus, I, I, want, to, I want to follow you. I want to take the position of a disciple. I want, to, I want to go where you're calling me. I want to let your words transform me, your power transform me, and live this out on planet Earth. Come on, just lift your hands. And I just want to invite you in your own words. Just say, God, have your way. God, I thank you all over this room are hands and hearts lifted that are saying, Jesus, I'm your disciple. Jesus, I want to follow you. If you will transform me, if you will shape me, God, I'll go where you send me. I'll do what you ask me to do. God, we pray as a community that, God, we would allow you to transform us into who you've called us to be, that, God, you would give us a new heart. God, you would give us new eyes, new faith, and, Lord, that we would live out this life you've called us to live. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all you've done. In Jesus' name, can we give the Lord a shout of praise? Thank you.